0: You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Listening, listening. It's a good thing. I, um, when I was first conducting foot patrols around the city, attached to the Melbourne District Traffic and Patrol Group for Victoria Police, I spent eighteen months there. It was a bit of an accident that I ended up there. I had the choice of many different stations but i heard a rumor that you know if you didn't put in an application quick enough you might end up somewhere you didn't want to be so i put my application in really really quick and, and i was near the top of the list so i got into what we what we nicknamed city traffic and i loved it a lot of it was foot patrol because cold winter nights wearing a great coat with the do you remember back in the day the the big white sleeves directing traffic and and uh leather gloves and and that was that was me for for a few few months of my life and I used to I used to like the the dark alleyways I figured you know there's got to be something down there and I would often often run into into the homeless of the of the streets of Melbourne and I guess a an assumption that I that I made before I encountered many of these, these dear folk was that, uh, that if there was trouble in the city, you could possibly trace it back to the homeless. But you know what? That, that just wasn't true. Uh, most of them were, were just getting by. And I remember going down an alleyway one time, and, and there was this, this guy uh, rummaging through a big dumpster. And uh, I approached him, and he seemed harmless enough. And, and we got chatting. And and I guess, firstly, I, I assumed that uh, he would be inebriated, and he wasn't. Then I assumed that, uh, you know, he um, would have some, some sort of mental illness that would make conversation difficult, and he didn't. And I guess I assumed that he would be fairly grotty, and, and he wasn't, although in those days I used, to, I used to take off the gloves and shake their hand and just give them a little bit of physical touch. And I made many, many assumptions which were absolutely wrong. And as I got, I got chatting with George, I discovered that actually George, George actually had an apartment. And it was a very nice, cozy one. And he was heading, after he'd finished with the dumpster, he was heading back there to watch some television in the warmth of his little home. But George was a little bit like a, I guess, uh, I guess a, a, a prospector. He, he enjoyed just hitting, hitting the streets and going through the garbage just to, just to see what he might find. For him, it was, a, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a hobby, and, and he felt that he just belonged out there in the streets, sorting through garbage and so forth. And I said, well, what would be a good day, George? And he replied, oh, just last week, I was going through this very dumpster, and there amongst all of the papers, I hit the jackpot. And I thought, well, what would be the jackpot for George, the homeless man who has a home? And and he said, I found a $5 bill. I was thinking, I could have given you one of them. (laughs) Wow, how long had you worked to find that $5 bill? But it wasn't about about that. It was about the adventure. It was about sifting. It was about finding something that had been disposed of that could could be useful and so forth. George was not what I was expecting, but as I took the time to converse with him, as I took the time to firstly notice him and then to listen to his story, um, I really, really grew to like him. I really grew to like many of the homeless around Melbourne. And, and I enjoyed those, those foot patrols, visiting those dark alleys. And, and after a while, it wasn't to, to find the people that might be causing trouble. It was to, to make sure that they, too... Were being, were being protected and that they too were being, were being served. It changed my, my whole way of, of thinking about, about the homeless. Well, the importance of listening, what can come out of listening to, to people? We're um, talking a, a couple of weeks ago about personal evangelism. Um, what does it mean to be an envoy of grace? That is somebody who has received the grace of God and, and now is actually allowing it to flow through their life so that it can, can touch other people as well. And I shared a couple of weeks ago how this whole area of personal evangelism is one in which many of us feel very inadequate, and I understand that. Most of us don't see ourselves as capital E evangelists. We see ourselves as small e's, just being obedient to the fact that it's inescapable. Jesus commanded us to, to be his witnesses. He commanded us to go and to, and to make disciples. And And we talked about the importance of of three things as we do this, the importance of noticing people. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Many people just go through life being unnoticed by anyone. And when we take the time to to notice what God notices, we noticed that the unnoticed love to be noticed. And then we wanted to talk about the importance of listening to people. And that's what we're going going to talk about a little bit this morning. And then, and then sharing, sharing your story, sharing the gospel. We'll we'll get to that in the in the coming weeks as well. But but let's talk a little bit today about learning to listen. Now, firstly, to understand this whole whole aspect of of, of evangelism, we need to understand, I, I guess, discipleship in it in the wider context. You see, each of us has been touched by the grace of God. It's, it's like, and I think we've got a, a slide of this, haven't we, Ross? Of, you know, we've got a little, little cross on our heart to say, God has touched and changed and transformed our heart. This is, this is Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, Colossians 1.27. Now, we, as those who have Christ residing within us, are called to, to follow Jesus. Jesus is the perfect model of what humanity should look like. Of course, we know it's all broken, but Jesus provides for us a wonderful model. So we follow the example of Jesus. Um, Jesus, you know, uh, called us to come, follow Him, that that He would um, make us fishers of men. And so, uh, a disciple is is one who follows Jesus Christ. And then and then discipleship he's having answered that, for, to, that call rather, to come follow him. Discipleship is taking others to the one that you are following. Matthew 28 tells us to go make disciples. So here we are um, uh, taking others to the one we're following. And this is where evangelism sits in this wider context of, of discipleship. We live lives um, enjoying the grace of God within us, as followers of Christ, Christ within us. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are following his example. And now we take others to the, to the one that we're following. They may have never encountered Jesus. They may have encountered Jesus, but it's been a long time since they've chatted. Or they may be in intimate fellowship with Jesus, but here is an area of their life that we can help them with by, by taking them to the one that we're following. Most of pastoral work, a high percentage of pastoral work is, as I understand it, simply taking others to Jesus. Um, I need to be very, very careful. Somebody asked one, one time, how do, you, how do you handle the accumulation of just you know, pain and things that you, that you know about um, in people's lives? And I thought, well, I, I, I try to, to not absorb it as if I'm the solution or the answer to it, but to deflect it. It's, I don't have any real answers. I just know Jesus. And I know enough about him to know he is enough for you, no matter what your situation is. So my role, really, is just to be that person that, that, that just keeps taking others to, to Jesus. And, and really, that's, that's all of our role, isn't it? That's what discipleship is about. That's what, um, that's what we um, are called uh, by Jesus to do. So let's, let's have a little bit of a look at this, this whole, whole idea of, of listening. Um, in John chapter 4, um, verses 7 to 17, we read about the story of Jesus, and he stops, stops off on a, on a visit going through Samaria back to Jerusalem with the disciples. The disciples leave him, and he encounters a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. So we'll, we'll read this through um, chapter 4, verse 7. "'When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? But Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Well, many have looked at this passage and tried to extract from it a precise formula for, for personal evangelism, and whilst there are some, some hints here, and certainly Jesus is modeling something very important for us, I think we need to be careful of, of taking things from the passage that aren't really there, and I don't want to do that tonight, but I do want to, want to note a couple of things here. What does Jesus model for us? You know, it's interesting that with the use of just one question, one question, one question, Would you give me a drink of water? He draws her into a conversation. And we note that in this conversation, Jesus uses, yes, the surprise question. There's a willingness to dialogue. What else can we observe? There's, there's this um, figurative claim of about living water, which she, she misunderstands and takes that literally. There's prophetic insight involved here, which we all could do a, with a little bit more of, couldn't we, at times? Um, there's correction when she gets her facts wrong um about uh, a correct place to worship and so forth. And and then there is also the promise of hope as she talks about the coming Messiah and Jesus reveals who he is. There's all of these all of these things here. But, but it's interesting. It's it starts with just a very, very simple question. One one little question. A friend of mine in, in OM Richard Sharp, he's he's got this uh, uh, little little idea of that that if you were to ask someone, you know what one wish would you have if you could, if you could just say to God today, you know, this is this is my desire, this is my wish, this is where I'd like you to touch my life. What would be your one wish? And uh, and He loves to use this this little notion of one wish. It's it's kind of like a question, I guess. Um, in a in a cafe, um, he tells the story about just asking the waitress that that very question. And he he just simply simply asked, you know, thanks 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 so much for clearing the table or whatever it might be. Hey, can I ask you a question? If you could, if you could ask God for one wish today, what would that be? What would you wish for that God could could do for you? And he said, almost inevitably, people have a reply. He never or very rarely gets into an argument about whether or not God God exists, most people actually have an answer to that question. And that was perhaps when he started asking that question, one of his biggest surprises. Um, he, he thought he might get a little bit more pushback from time to time, but no. Most people that he asked actually had an answer to that question. If I could, if I could wish for anything from God, what, what would it be? And then, after they share that with him and and in this particular the case that i I can recall um, it had to do with you know just uh, praying for you know, this woman's daughter who um, was was in a in, you know going to college and she just wanted the right college and the right subject and wisdom for her daughter and what to do and and so Richard followed followed that up with he said, "Well, how would you feel if I were to to pray for that right now just a one sentence prayer and uh and he said, that's the second thing that amazes him. How many times people are okay with that? He said every now and again, somebody would say, oh, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that or whatnot. But, but he said, by and large, do you know what? People are very willing, particularly if it's a promise of a one-sentence prayer, people are very willing to, to, for me to pray with them there and then. And he said, I know it's a little bit of a risk. I know they might say no, and I'm prepared for that. I said, that's, that's okay. Um, you know, have a great day. And he sort of got a little answer for that. But, but he said, but I love to put it out there. And then I love to pray for people. And then I love to think as, as our, little, our little encounter ends, I love to think about what they might think about that moment, about, about that encounter. Um, and it starts with just a question. What would be that one wish that you could, you could have from God if, if you could ask him um, for anything? Um, many years ago, I, I worked with with Caleb Ministries, and and uh, some of you actually actually know uh, you know some of this training material. They would they would teach this this little uh, um, uh, method, if you if you like, of of asking questions. The thing that I took away from that was just the power of a good question. And it could be anything. Now they they had a little little uh, tool to help you remember possible questions that you could ask a person, but but I guess long ago I sort of just. Latched on to, what is a good question that that might be meaningful for this for this person? And you know even, even just looking around our congregation here, um, and we we're actually going to have time for this after afterwards. Um, we're actually going to have time to fellowship together, which is not necessarily telling someone you know all about your you know your your great week or your bad week or whatever it might be, but it might be to, to listen to somebody else and to, to draw out from them, how has your week been? As Sam was saying, it's been, it's been a very busy week in many of our, many of our lives. But, but whether this week has held any, any highlights or low lights, whatever it might be, each of us has a story. Some of us have many stories over many years, and, and with just a few simple questions, we can draw out some fascinating things about, about one another. Uh, for, for instance, um, I wonder right, right now, somebody might even like to answer this question, I wonder whether many of us may have been born in Melbourne Australia, you know, boring, 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 who wasn't born in Melbourne, Australia, but... Yeah, who wasn't born in Melbourne, Australia? Where, where were you born? I bet you there are some fascinating places. So let's, let's get some answers. Where, Marilyn, where were you born? Lay in Papua New Guinea. Lay in Papua New Guinea. Country Victoria. Country Victoria. Which, which part? Kerrang. Kerrang. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Where, where else? Yeah, Damien. Perth. Perth. Where in Perth? A hospital. No doubt. Bruce, was it a hospital? <laughs> where else have we got? Yes, Tanzania. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do any? Romania. No way. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Where else have we got? Neil? Mudgee New South Wales. Whereabouts? Budgie. Mudgie. Mudgie. That's a place, not a pool of dirty brown water. <laughs> Mudgie. Wow. Who's been to Mudgie New South Wales? Wow. I have got to go there. The metropolis of Mudgee. Well, okay, where else have we got? Oh, over here, Danny. Solomon Islands. Oh, cool, cool. And you came to Melbourne. (laughs) Yeah, Gary. Parramatta. Yes. Sri Lanka. Lanka. Carol, I think you take the prize. (laughs) Where where in Sri Lanka? Is there a a town with a better name than Mudgee? Colombo. That's, yep, wow, fantastic. We had another, another couple. Yeah, Frank. Dolby in, Queensland. Dolby in Queensland. Yeah, and right at the back, Christy. Oh, I, I couldn't hear that one, i sorry. Delaware. Delaware, yes, fantastic. Most of us thought that was a brand of crockery. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, no, you're actually born there. Yeah, Karen. Uh, Rotterdam, Holland. Rotterdam, Holland. Wow, wow, fantastic. Yes. Italy! Where where in, in Italy, Louisa. Okay, nice, nice, Diane. Whereabouts? To... Peterly. Peterly, in England, wow, look, look at that, so much to catch up on, on afterwards, yeah. Carlton, Woo. I, I just wanted that to come out. <laughs> yeah, not Brisbane. No, Carlton. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. Carlton, not Brisbane. Lovely. Um, just, so, uh, where, where were you born? Okay. What's your earliest, earliest memory of church? It's another question. It's a fascinating. What's your earliest memory of church? For some people, it was, for me, it was um, um, hop, hopping in my, in my Sunday best. And I only know this by, by the photos of me being taken off to Sunday school and church week after week. But but it was what's now Diamond Valley Baptist Church with the old Greensboro Baptist Church. But but what are some other early memories of, of churches that that you have? Where were you what were some of your early experiences? Yeah. Getting a a horse bite from your Sunday school teacher. Yes, yes. Yes, they had some different methods then, didn't they? Yes, yes. How did they get the horse to bite? <laughs> okay, so, wow, early memories of church. <laughs> it's good to have you back. <laughs> Andrea, That take note of that, horse bites for kids. <laughs> oh, it happens, right. <laughs> what are some other early memories? Yeah. Little memory cards. Yeah, scripture cards. Yeah. Preschool. Yeah, yeah. And were there prizes for memorising scripture? Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing what the, the effort we'd go to to earn a stamp or a star? Well, only later did I encounter chocolate and realised I was robbed. The stars and the stamps didn't amount to anything. Joe. Oh yeah. Yeah, a coffee bar. Fantastic, fantastic. Great. Yes, Diane and then Sam. Uniforms, brass bands, and timbals. Yeah, wow. So the... I'm asking my father, are we nearly done yet? Asking your father, are we nearly done yet? Was he preaching? No. <laughs> so, like, questions, questions, good questions that can open up all sorts of information about people's lives. Um, it don't always have to be related to, related to church and so forth. Who's your favorite author? Um, uh, what's one of the first questions that you're going to have for God when you, when you reach heaven? Who, who's, who's thought about that one? Who knows? When I get to heaven, I am dying to ask, you haven't thought about that? <laughs> yeah, Neil. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? Why? Yes, Jess. Why did you make what? Why did you make? Mosquito. Oh, mosquitoes! I thought you said speedos. I was thinking, don't, <laughs> don't ask that in church. Mosquitoes. Yes. Why did you? Why did you make mosquitoes? And the the other one too. Yeah. <laughs> That's the fall. That's the... Yep. Okay. Uh, let's move on. You know, I guess one of the, one of the favorite areas of questions for, for me when, was when you got down to a little bit of a deeper area and you were able to, to actually... You've been engaging somebody perhaps in conversation for a while and you were able to just ask them a little bit about... You know, what would be one of the greatest challenges facing you at the moment, or, or what, what, what would be your chief concerns, or what, what I, I imagine this area must have its share of frustrations. What are some of the frustrations that you currently face? To, to talk to people about some of the, some of the, some of the downside of, of uh, work and, and vocation and family and travel and whatever it might be. And I I often find um, if you were genuinely listening to people, and they could they could they could sense it, they were very very willing to open up about all manner of things. If you know ask the right questions, and you can you can listen to someone all day. And I hope afterwards um, that, uh, as we often do over a cup of coffee or tea and a, and fellowship, that we'll take the time to to listen to one another, maybe maybe to meet someone. That uh, we've never met before, and to just delve into their lives a little bit, ask some, ask some great questions, and, and find out a little bit of what's going on. Now, the interesting thing is as powerful as a good question can be, I don't believe necessarily that's what Jesus is modeling for us here. It's very, very interesting that, that it's more than just a good question or a particular method for Jesus. You see, the whole context is against Jesus here. Firstly, um, he's, he's alone. The disciples have gone back into town, and there is just this other woman at the well. There's no mention of anyone, anyone else. Secondly, why is this woman alone at the well at midday? It was not the custom for women to go up to the well at midday. Um, the answer probably lay in the fact that for some reason or another, she was an outcast. Um, secondly, or thirdly, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, and the and the two just didn't get on. A couple of hundred years years before, the Jews had had absolutely demolished the the temple that they they had there in Samaria. It was still laying in ruins, and and they were really seen as as sort of half breeds, religiously speaking. They were they were seen as a as a lower lower caste of of God followers. At times, the woman at the well is, is suggestive and provocative. Um, one uh, commentator says that the, the words when Jesus asks, go get your husband, when she says, you know, I have no husband, it could actually be translated to mean I am available. Now, whether that's true or not, there was this awkwardness there. Um, at other times, she is intentionally Provocative. In her, in her answers, trying to, as it were, deflect or redirect the conversation in a, in a different path to take control of it. She doesn't want to talk about certain, certain things. She uses language such as our father Jacob. Now, many Jews would have seen that as a total offense, this, this idea that we would have a shared ancestry, that you would include yourself as you know, those who have inherited you know, uh, Jacob as their father. Um, uh, later on when Jesus asks about her husband, um, she switches topic and she starts to talk about the right place to worship. And she, she talks about our ancestors worshipped here, but you Jews, as if to say, we are the ones actually who have um, uh, the right ancestry. It was very, very provocative. And, and yet, and yet Jesus seems to, to move through all of these obstacles seamlessly. Now, what's going on here? Now, this is, this is where, particularly for those of you um, who, and we have many, many at our church, who are involved in cross-cultural mission, um, missionologically speaking, we're always looking at the Word of God and asking, what can we learn about mission? But, but here's the fascinating thing, and maybe we can, we can go to this, this slide now. In John chapter 4, Jesus neither plays down his culture nor seems overly concerned with adapting to that of the Samaritan woman. It's fascinating. He understands the context, but shirks the customs of the day. Asking but one question, the conversation flows easily around numerous obstacles and uncertainties. What we do know for sure is that the father was at work and so was his son. Not a word falls to the ground as Jesus harvests in his father's field. As more respond, the visit is extended and seeds are planted for the not so distant future, as Jesus demonstrates to his disciples how satisfying ministry can be when you simply do the Father's will. So, if there's a formula or a method or something that we can extract from this, it's not in the ability of Jesus to ask a smooth question, it's not in not seems to be caught up in his charisma or anything else. The whole of the context is working against him, and yet God is at work. His Father is at work. So how do we, how do we explain what is going on here? Perhaps we let Jesus do it. In John chapter 12, just, just a few chapters over, verses 49 to 50, Jesus is explaining how it is that he goes about ministry. He says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say if we are looking somewhere for a missiological formula or for some other clue that will help us in personal evangelism, I would say there it is. I would say we're observing in John 4 the reality of what Jesus says in John 12, that he only speaks the words the Father gives him. He is dependent upon his Father. He does the will of the Father. He only does that which he sees his Father doing. And he can do nothing by himself. Here is Jesus' ministry model. We explored that a a couple of months ago. But it is to, to be so in step with the Father's will that at any given moment, he knows what to do. He knows what to say. He knows the Father's mind. That's the model of ministry for Jesus. And here is the outworking of it in John 4. He knows what is going on in this woman's life. Yes, there is this prophetic insight, but he knows it because... Because he is listening to his father as he listens to the woman. Whilst Jesus is listening to her, he's ultimately listening to his father. And I guess if there is something here in this whole area of listening, notice, listen, share. If there's something here in this whole area of listening that we need to, to grab a hold of, it is probably this need to learn to listen to God as we listen to others. It's not always easy. Somebody's sitting across you and as you're trying to engage with them and, and you're trying to understand what it is that they're saying, but to take those moments where you are connecting with God yourself and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to help you to hear what you need to hear. And it might be something, some subtle nuance or something in that person's words that all of a sudden gives you a clue as to what is going on, or it might actually be just something that God plants in your head himself. However it happens, it seems that as we listen to other people, this art of learning to listen to God at the same time is critical. Often there are no perfect circumstances. We just, we just need to know what, what God is saying. I shared a few weeks ago a, um, a moment where I was on a, on a flight and and an opportunity for a conversation that I didn't particularly want opened up, and, and it just flowed really, really easily. Well, that doesn't always happen. I was on another flight on another occasion, and... And uh, a, a young young girl sat down next to me, and um, and she was obviously a bit bit new to to travel and so forth. And you could tell by the way she was exploring the the seat in front of her and all that sorts of things, and and getting down and then getting up again because she'd forgotten something, and then getting down and then getting up again and and so forth. So I was just observing all of this as I settled settled into my seat, and and then uh, I just felt a prompt from the Lord to you know have a. Start a little conversation with her, and and so I I'd, I'd asked her, you know we, you know um, we're just flying we're flying out of Thailand actually back, back to Melbourne, and I said so have you been on holidays or, traveling around? I figured that probably she she wasn't working just because of her her age, and she um, she said oh no actually I've 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 just had just had surgery, and I was. I was all of a sudden thinking, "Oh wow, you know um, a holiday gone bad or something you' have been in hospital and and so with a little little bit of concern I, I I asked her, "Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but I also just have this I just have this principle um, if 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 a woman has had a surgical procedure, just don't ask <laughs> so it's just it has served me well over the years. And, and so I just sort of thought, okay, skip to question number two, which is, oh, well, well how, how did it all go? And question number two is not infallible either, because um, with, with two gestures, um, she, she gestured towards um, some breast enhancement that she had just had, and said, oh, quite well, I think, As a pastor, I get asked for a lot of opinions. But I don't always have an opinion. And I thank God for a couple of things. I thank him for peripheral vision, that I was able to pick up the gestures before turning my head, so I knew not to turn my head. I thank God for... um, in-seat visual screens, and that I suddenly was quite captivated by what movies might be on. And I thank him for the English word, right, (laughs) which, actually, there's 14 different definitions or ways in which the word right can be used. Um, I guess the intonation says it all. There There is the disinterested, right. There's the confused, right. There's the overly interested, right. There's the matter-of-fact, right. And there's the embarrassed radio. I got the intonation correct and, and just said, right. And then sort of uh, let some silence go by while I quickly checked in with my heavenly father. Where to now, God? And God gave me some quick insights, which were, were really helpful, I think, for the next part. I just quickly deduced, okay, Somebody pretty young, alone, in Thailand, um, undergoing such a procedure. And all of a sudden, I had a picture of somebody rather lonely and rather insecure. And so the question that came out was, I guess, sort of a fatherly one. It was, or well, wasn't a question. It was more a statement, actually. Wow, you're pretty brave coming all this way to undergo a procedure like that. And I said, was there no one to come with you? And she opened up with just that question, which I think God might have given me. She opened up with, no, no, actually, there was no one. And a very, very sad story about her, her family situation. And that led and allowed me to, to disclose to her the fact that I was a pastor, a Christian, and I said, I don't know, um, you may or may not know much about church. Do you know much about church and, and such things? And she said, no, not really. I don't think I've ever been in one. Maybe once. Maybe I was christened or something. I don't know. And her family situation would, would be a testament to the fact that she wouldn't, wouldn't remember. And I said, well, many, many years ago, when I was able to share a little bit of my story, I came across in the Bible, which I believe to be the words of God to, to us about life and who He is and who we are, I came across an amazing passage which which just reminded me that when I think there's no one, there really is someone. Would you like to read that sometime? And she said, yeah. Now, my Bible app with uh, you know, the, no Wi-Fi and so forth wasn't going to help me on this particular occasion. And and so I, I actually had a hunch that it was better to not put it in front of her right now, but to to write it down for her. And so I wrote down Psalm 139, which is David's Psalm, of course, of being noticed by God. That when you think there's no one, there really is someone. And he notices you, and he knows you intimately, and he cares for you and he loves you. And so I wrote that down and I said, Now, how are we going to get a Bible into your hands? I said, have you ever seen a church? And she thought she had. In fact, there might be one not far from her. And I said, well, I know that as a pastor, if anyone walks into our church and asks, can I have a Bible, we'll give them one, just for free, just like that. Why don't you walk in there one day and ask them for a Bible? And armed with that that little verse, you could even ask them, could you show me where to find this passage? And I said, I'm sure that it will it will encourage you. We had more, more conversation after that. And, and God was able to, able to use that little, little conversation, I think, to, to minister to her. You know, there are lots of stories of pain. And there are a lot of people who are trying to fix with their head what is really a, a hurt of the heart. But hurts of the heart are best fixed by the King of Hearts. And as we listen to people's stories and as we listen to God, we often have opportunities to minister to those those very situations. Even when you feel like there's nowhere possibly that this conversation can go, God often gives you a way forward. It's just a matter of listening, listening to him. We too have stories of pain, but we also have a story of healing. And forgiveness of sin and the promise of the same abiding relationship with the Father that Jesus had is a part of our story. And it's a part of, if I might say, what qualifies you as an envoy of grace. You might feel ill-prepared. You might feel inadequate for this task of personal evangelism. But we're about to remind ourselves as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to remind ourselves why it is that he chooses us to be envoys of grace. Evangelism, being envoys of grace, is the, the natural overflow of an abiding relationship with God. And that abiding is possible because of, for instance, Hebrews 4.15 We're going to take communion in just a moment. And as we, as we do, we remind ourselves that through the shedding of blood, through the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and the symbols that, that we take to remind us of that, that through that sacrifice, our sin has been atoned for. There is forgiveness of sin, as, as Sam was, was saying before. We can now boldly approach the throne of grace. I don't know how you picture that throne. In your mind's eye, perhaps it's very, very large. God is very, very large. It probably doesn't matter too much what it looks like. But can you picture yourself running boldly towards it because you belong there? In fact, you belong at the throne of grace more than you belong anywhere else in this world. Did you know that? It's your place of being. There is an open invitation always because of the, the blood of Jesus Christ for you to approach your heavenly Father with absolute confidence. And it is at that place, in the presence of your heavenly Father, having boldly approached the throne of grace, it is at that place where we once more encounter the grace, that amazing grace, that we might be used as envoys of grace. So perhaps part of the problem sometimes of us feeling adequate for the task of personal evangelism is not just shyness, personality, or, or the wrong set of circumstances that it just never seems to come together for us. Maybe, just maybe, it comes back to how much you have been a recipient of grace. How much you understand the the grace that has been shown to you. And out of the overflow of that grace, how God would like to use you to be an envoy of grace, to pass it on to others, to simply share with others out of the abundance of your heart. That's all it is. That's all it is. Taking time to listen to people starts with having listened to God. So let's listen once more to what the King of Hearts has to say to us as we gather around his table. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once more for this amazing grace of which we have been recipients. We thank you for your body which was broken, your blood that was shed on our behalf. We thank you that you have forgiven us our sin and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We thank you that it is not the power of our confession that accomplishes this, but it is the power of your blood that was shed, and the fact that you, Heavenly Father, look at the blood of your Son which was shed and you say, It is sufficient. This morning, let us be reminded of those words. Whatever the sin, no matter how long it has been since we have communed with our Heavenly Father, whatever the pain, whatever the objection, it's covered. By the blood of Jesus. Yes, the accuser stands near, but he is muted by the words of your Heavenly Father who simply says, looking at the blood of Jesus, it is sufficient. that's that. That's that. It's settled. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.